Here we are, back on Radical Australia. That's right. 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The last presenter is about to leave. Rude person she is. She's leaving. She's left. She's slamming the door. All right. Look, uh, the program is podcast, so if nature calls, the bikey next door knocks on your door for a cup of sugar for his meth lab, relax, it's podcast. You can catch up with the podcast. Now, Dale's sick, so our uh, best wishes for Dale. And in her shoes steps Erwin. How are you, Erwin? I'm good. How are you? Good. I mean, I reckon reckon you and Dale would be about... The most, the oddest couple at 3CR. She's about six foot and you're about five foot. Oh, well, I was going <laughs> to say that. <laughs> Thanks, oh, Joe. <Jim. laughs> well, thank you for coming in and uh, doing all the bits and pieces. Without you, obviously, we wouldn't have a program because I'm ignorant. I've never learnt anything. I've been here 41 years and, I, and I'm banned mm. from touching anything. Well, it is good to know. <laughs> I did touch the ball. I did touch this about twenty-one years ago, yes, and the yes. and the radio station went off the air. That yes. was it. And since then, I've been banned, and I'm very happy about it. Well. Okay. <laughs> now the person you're hearing laugh in the background is Madame Joe Connolly. Two N's, two L's. Yes, that's right. How are you? I'm good, thanks. You're looking exceptionally well. Thank you. Now. It's very easy. It's a very easy show, you know. I'm not actually here to prove a point. I'm here to learn about you and so are the listeners. Mm -hmm. And we only ask two questions Mm. in the whole 56 minutes. Okay. And the first question takes five seconds and the next question takes 55 minutes and, you know, 55 seconds. So the first question is just to orientate the listeners, what year were you born? I don't know that it's a question you ask a lady, but I'll tell you it was the year that the Spanish Civil War started. In 1936. Very good. And that's important for me because uh, it figures later in my life. Okay. 19, well, I actually used that. The Spanish no, Civil War, I mean. Yeah, well, I use 1936 <laughs> sometimes in combinations, you uh-huh. know, and the pin numbers. So if you want to know my pin numbers, it's not 1936. <laughs> okay. Now, the second question, Joe, is what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Um, I remember my grandmother going away when I was three. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember uh, – I have a lot of memories, actually, when I was four. I remember my brother being born when I was four and going to see him in the hospital. Um, and I remember my mother was a, a part of a club called the Modern Women's Club in Perth, which was a very unusual place, and – I remember going there during wartime because the building was sandbagged and the lift didn't work. Um, And we had to go down this very steep flight of steps. And when we got to the bottom, there was a, on the other wall, there was a, a, a bench. And my grandma was sitting, my maternal grandmother was sitting on it with another woman. And I thought it was very strange because that woman, her picture was, her painting of her was above her head. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who she was at the time, but I later found out she was Catherine Susanna Pritchard, the famous West Australian writer. I grew up in Western Australia. So you were born in Perth? Yes, I was born in Perth, yeah. Now you said you, tell us about your mum, where did she come from? My mum came from England. She Mm -hmm. came uh, in 1926 as a 12-year-old. Her parents were um, members of the Independent Socialist Party, and Independent Labor Party, I think they called it in England. And they came from Manchester, or near, near Manchester, Warrington. Um, and they came because my grandmother had asthma. Right. But my grandmother had been involved in the suffragette movement in England, and 
as soon as she came to Australia, she she had the politics <laughs> and she joined the Labor Party with Kim Beasley Senior, actually. Kim Beasley Senior. Mm, Fremantle branch. Wow. And when Hitler started making noises, noises in Germany, yeah. mm-hmm. she joined an organisation called the um, Movement Against War and Fascism. Yes, yes. I think it was 1933. Would have been, yeah. Um, and then when the Spanish Civil War started, mm-hmm. she became the Secretary of the Medical Aid for Spain, for Spain, an organisation called Spanish Relief. You realise that today she'd be jailed for 25 years? Probably. No, under the current legislation. Yeah. You know, if right. you did, you would be jailed for 25 years, like mm. our friend Irwin's from West Papua. Mm. And if there was a civil, well, there is an un, undeclared war there, but, right. uh, you know, the legislation is there. Yeah. So. No, well, they, I mean, they, and if you sent volunteers across, like many Australians, yes, over that's a, right, over a hundred Australians, yes, went to fight in the Civil War, mostly. For, I, know, I knew you, a few of them did actually. You? Who yes. Did you? All right, let's 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 go back a step. Tell us about your dad. My dad. My dad was a fitter and turner, mm-hmm. fitter and welder, yep. in, at the Midland Railways Workshop. The day he finished his apprenticeship, which was I think was nineteen twenty nine, he was sacked because they had to pay him more. Yep. And I think he trapped rabbits for a few years during the Depression. So he was, born, he was born in Western Australia? He was born in Western Australia. Right. And he went back to the Middle Railways Workshop and worked there the whole of his life. Right, right. After he trapped Until rabbits. Until he got yeah. asbestosis. Is, right. Because he worked in a powerhouse there. So, so he just, used... did he just get the scar tissue or did he get the mesothelioma? Uh, well, I wasn't ho- there when he died. I was mm. overseas, but mm. he... he, he Lung popped, kept popped. popping. And, well, it would have been, yeah, it would have been the scar tissue. Yeah. So you said you had a brother. Do you have many brothers and sisters? I've got a sister and a brother, an mm. older sister and a younger brother. And yeah. they're both alive? They're both in Perth. Right. Yeah. In Perth. Yeah. Still in Perth. Yeah. Spent their whole life in Perth. They have, actually. Are, are, they, are they normal? <laughs> would you describe them as normal? Well, my brother's never been out of the state. My sister has. She's he's never, le- he's never left Western never Australia. Never left Western Australia. Yeah. He says, why would you want to go anywhere else? It's the best place in the world. Obviously, if he was involved. But, you know, in- I, I, I always wanted to travel. Yeah, yeah. All right, I, I used go- to look at a book that my yeah. grandfather had, and it had yeah. pictures of the Taj Mahal and right, Machu Picchu, right, and right. all that. I always wanted to go. Yeah, and I, I did to yeah, some I'm of sure them. you did <laughs> many how, times. How did your mum and dad meet? Did you did you find that out? Um, they met in a um, a yacht club. A my yacht dad club. used to build yachts. Right. Yeah, sharpies yeah. they were called. Yeah. Mm. Sharpies. And they got married in 1933, Boxing right. Day. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle of the Depression. That's right. It's good. Yeah. It would have been a great wedding. My dad um, was manpowered during the war. Mm-hmm. He was very upset about that because he thought that his mates might think he was shirking his duty, but right. he was needed to weld the trains and tanks and things. Right. And, uh, right. So he joined the Home Guard. But I, I remember a lot about the war, actually. What do you remember? Um, I remember the Catalan, uh, what, those flying planes, you know, Catalan. The ones with the they used to Cat- glide in the water. Catalan, Catalina. Yeah, that's right. The Catalinas. Catalina. They used yeah. to land on Perth yeah, River. On the water, yeah, with the. Um, yeah. I remember sandbags all over the city. I remember mm. the rationing. I remember mm. the trenches. We had a right. very flimsy one in our backyard, but my grandma had a much more substantial thing that was stacked with food, cans mm. of food, and it was right. you went down steps into it, you know, and the, she shared it with a neighbour. It was under the side fence, but. Um, Mm. Ours was very flimsy, and every time you jumped into it, the dog jumped in too. And it's sort of sandy soil in Perth, so the oh. sand had pulled in. But at school, we used to, I started school when I was five, so and 41. we had to take yeah. a rubber peg to put in your mouth to absorb shock and earplugs. Oh, right. And right. we had no sort gas of, mask in World War II. <laughs> no, we no. had sort of um, yeah. 
you know, uh, practice. Mm, did you have to crawl under, under the desk because of the nuclear bombs <laughs> later on? Did, <laughs> oh, that you, came later. That came later. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. And my mother, yeah. my mother used to go to the school a lot because mm-hmm. it, there were thing that called Oslo lunches, which were right. sort of healthy lunches for kids, yeah, and yeah. she used to go up there and hand them out. And right, because there was there was a lot of poverty in West Australia in those days. There was. And my mother joined the Communist Party mm-hmm. very early in in the nineteen. Well, at the time of the war, but I think she joined it actually a bit earlier than that. She was also in the in the Spanish Relief Committee with my grandmother, mm. and my grandmother had a devastating accident actually when she was she was getting off a bus and something happened and she fell and got a fractured skull and she lost a power of speech, right. so she had to give up the position for a while. But um, by 1938, she was okay back. again and back on deck, and she was actually. Mm. A guest speaker the first time International Women's Day was ever celebrated in Perth in 1938. In 1938. Mm. So obviously her uh, contribution and was um, yes. honoured. Mm. Yeah. But she by that time she was in this modern women's club. I started to tell you that the... Yeah, well, tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, well, the... It's a communist those, party front, isn't it? No. <laughs> <laughs> those two organisations were yeah. proscribed by the local Labor Party. They yeah. said you can't belong to that and the Labor Party. So mm. uh, my grandmother and Catherine Susanna Pritchard and Irene Greenwood, who was another woman who did a lot of radio in Perth, actually, mm. for many, many years. Mm. And I think nine other women said, well, you know... Up yours. Up yep. yours. Uh, we're going to form our own little get-together. So every Friday they'd have a luncheon in this um, basement of a building in the middle of Perth and they'd have guest speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, all sorts of speakers. And I used to, when I was later, when I was a teenager and working in the city, I used to often go there and listen to people speaking. Mm. They also did a lot of work with Indigenous people in Perth. And so I was very fortunate that, you know, when I was a kid, I I did meet some Indigenous people because they weren't allowed into the city and it was hard to meet them. But Mm. they, I think the Communist Party had a part in helping organise things like the Coolbaroo Club and... Yeah, they had a huge part. They had a huge part in that, huge part. And my mother was involved in that from, I think, 1930, not long after I was born, actually. Mm. So when did you meet these uh, men and women who volunteered to fight in the Spanish Civil War? Much later, Mm. actually, when, um, (laughs) well, I met met them. I joined the Eureka Youth League when I was a teenager. Mm. And um, when I was 15, actually, I went to uh, the Youth Carnival for Peace and Friendship in Sydney, uh, which was held in 1951. 51, yes. Um, and I was in, in the West Australian delegation and uh, I stayed in Perth later. But in the Eureka Youth League, I'd, I met um, Sam Ehrens, mm-hmm. who'd been a volunteer. And I'd met um, Paddy Troy, who was a union leader in Western Australia who'd gone to the Spanish Civil War. Mm-hmm. And my mum's best friend was a lady called May Pennyfather, and she went as a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um and actually, my oldest daughter made a film about May Penny Father much later. Um, so I used to hear about the Spanish Civil War a lot. Right. Often. I mean, you know, they well, it was talk a about it. It's a defining moment for a lot of people. Yes. Especially for radicals in Australia yes, at that was. particular point in time. Yeah. Now, obviously, you went to school. Where did you go to school? I went to school at the local primary school. Mm. Um, no private school? Grade for you? six. No private schools in my family, no. Uh, 
Not at all. It shows. No religion it shows. Either. It shows. Your no elocution isn't just right. Oh, we did go to. Right. I think we went to Sunday school very briefly, but right. I was very disenchanted with that. that. <laughs> it didn't appeal to me at all. No. Um, but in the, um, I went to that school, and then for high school, I went to a remarkable school. Actually, when I think back to it now, it was called Perth Girls High, or some boring name like that. Mm. But it was built on an old cemetery. And it was quite a historic cemetery, actually. Yeah, and just I, like the Queen Victoria Markets. Yes. Yeah, same and thing. It's up on a hill, sort yes. of east of Perth. Right. Um, and there's a lot of very famous graves still there, you know, like mm. going back a long way, I mean. Mm. But I, the thing I remember most about it, there was they had this marvellous meeting hall and all around the top of the wall they had the names of famous women. Famous women. Famous women. That's a bit which shocking. Was bit, it was a bit shocking and remarkable. Yeah. But I also saw Helen Keller there. She mm. came to the school and spoke. Right. Do you remember any of the, any of the famous women whose names were on the wall? Uh, well, there were some members of Parliament. There mm. was Caroline Chisholm, I remember, right. was there, and mm. um, um, a couple of West Australian members of Parliament. They're the only ones I can mm. really remember, but I know they were all around the wall. And, and, but there was. I went there till year nine. Right. Um, actually, before I started at high school, my mother also had a terrible accident. She was a passenger in a car mm. and a drunk driver hit the back of the car and she fell out and got terrible injuries and she was in hospital for three months and they didn't think she was going to live and mm. it was really awful. We weren't allowed to see her for weeks. But mm. she recovered and uh, but she always had a... She damaged an ankle very badly. badly. And, right. Um, in her later years, you know, it worried her sometimes. But thanks to ASIO... I have some marvellous moving footage of my mother, age 40. Oh, that's lovely. Because we were never... It's it's very kind of them to (laughs) allow... They didn't redact that part. Your mother's walking with a limp wasn't redacted. No, no, no. How much much of uh, your mother's and father's record was redacted? (laughs) Well, I got their ASIO papers. Yes. I actually got my husband's first. Um, Now, my husband I met when I was 14. You met your husband at 14? In the Eureka Youth League. In the Eureka, yeah. And he haven't was. You heard, haven't you heard of the carnal knowledge laws? <laughs> Remember those laws? He, he was when I was. He was twenty-two. He was twenty. Oh, he's a goner. He's I gone. know. He would have been gone. He yeah. would have been gone. That's right. <laughs> but he was a journo. Uh-huh. It's even worse. And he'd done his cadetship in Perth, yeah. and then he was really naughty because in 1950 he abandoned that, he's resigned, mm. to become a full-time organiser for the Peace Council. Right. Very naughty, organising yeah. peace, you know, peace yeah. conferences. Mm. He helped to organise this big peace conference in Sydney, which was attended by, they called him the Red Dean, Hewlett Johnson, his name was, yeah. came from the Archbishop of Canterbury, yeah. came. And when he went back to Perth after the conference was all over, because he, he went to Melbourne and Sydney mm. to the conference, when he went back... Um, and tried to get back into journalism. And there were three newspapers in Western Australia, in Perth in those days. It was a Sunday paper, a morning paper and an afternoon paper. They all said, no, we can't employ you. ASIO's been here and you're a declared person. Now, could you explain to me what a declared person was? A declared person was a naughty person who got involved in Organising peace conferences. Oh, well, got involved in political action. Which, of any sort. Of any sort. You were a declared person. You That's wouldn't right. do any public or private work. You had to be That's self-employed. Right. So he had he had some really terrible mm. jobs. Mm. <laughs> he was the most impractical man you could possibly meet. So right. digging plumbing ditches and things like that was just, yeah. you know, I don't know how he survived it really. Right. But he met you at 14. 
when I met him when I was 14. Mm-hmm. So did that romance blossom at that age or did you, did you wait a few years? No, we waited a little while. Right. Yeah. He went off to Sydney right. um, when I was 15 right. to edit a paper called Challenge, yeah. which was um, organised to promote the Youth Carnival for Peace and Friendship. And I don't know whether you know anything about the Youth Carnival, but... Robert Menzies was the Prime Minister in those days and he tried very hard to stop it. He went to local councils and said, don't rent your sports grounds, don't rent your meeting halls. He refused visas to famous boxers who were coming in. Mm. It was extraordinary. But anyway, um, it happened and it was quite successful actually. And afterwards, I persuaded my parents, who were very reluctant, to let me stay in Sydney for right. a while. And you were in 15, I had an auntie there. You were 15 then. I was 15. And you left school at year nine. I had to. There was nowhere else to go in Perth, really, except modern school. Right. There was a modern school, but that was the only school that went past year nine for the whole metropolitan area. So you had to be well, yes, super, super bright. I was... So- I was Pretty right. bright, but I wasn't super, super bright. Super bright. So, so you were expected basically. As, was this for boys and girls, year nine? It, put, it took boys and girls. So at year nine. Bob Hawke went there. Yeah, so at year nine, 14 or 15, you're expected basically to mm. fend for yourself. Mm. So I went into the workforce straight what, away. Doing what? Well, the first job I had was um, making uh, appointments at a radiology clinic at Perth Hospital. Right, but right. I left that very quickly to go to yeah, Sydney. Sydney. What happened in Sydney? This sounds this very well, romantic. In Sydney I worked. Yeah. Yes, so well. after the youth carnival was yeah. over, I got a job at the Waterside Workers National Office. Oh, right. With big Jim Healy. Good old Biggie. Yeah. And Robert, uh, no, Rupert Lockwood. Mm. So I used to organise, I used to run the telephone board Mm -hmm. at the reception desk and make tea, basically. And Rupert Lockwood used to win gallons of it. But he, you know, I learnt such a lot from those people. I really did. What did you learn? Um, Well, I learnt a lot about, I mean, Rupert Lockwood has a remarkable life, really, Mm -hmm. because I think he was with... Ernest Hemingway and a few others who went to report the Spanish Civil War. So he talked to me about the Spanish Civil Civil War War. and all sorts of other things. So I had that sort of, you know, that Mm. thing about the Spanish Civil War went right through my life, really. So you were quite happy for you to live in Sydney at 15? For three months only. And then then I went back. You went back? Yeah, I went back and went back into the workforce and um, missed Keith terribly. Um, and he eventually came back at the end of that year and mm. got a job in Manjimup. Manjimup. Which is in the southwest of WA, right. where he was quite sort of upfront about his politics, mm. but um, they didn't seem to mind too much, no, you know. No, no. So we went to Manjimup when we got married. Got I got married. married when I was 17. 17 at Manjimup. 17 and a half, yeah. 17 and a half. What was the wedding like? Well, you could get married in the registry office, which was pretty dingy and horrible, or yeah. a church. So I opted for the church. Mm-hmm. It was an Anglican church, local. Never been there in my life. So the minister uh, required me to take some uh, lessons from him. Yes, yes. Not about how to be um, really a, wife and a, a, a good wife and yeah. a mother, but yeah. really more about trying to get me to become a Christian, which mm-hmm. I'm sorry I wasn't. That <laughs> I was an atheist from right. a very early age, I think. But a year after I was married, mm-hmm. he sent a letter to all the people who had been married the previous year, mm-hmm. inviting them to an afternoon tea reunion. Mm-hmm. And I kid you not, but the letter said, 
um, there will be pleasant intercourse on the lawns. Pleasant intercourse. Pleasant. Well, that's very nice. I don't think. I mean, I mean, he meant. I think he meant. I don't social think the sort. He meant yeah, social, social intercourse, intercourse, but he didn't say right. that. No. So I've always had this vision of this man going around, you know, amongst all these couples hard uh, at it, yeah, um, yeah. offering uh, praise. Well, I would. I would too. <laughs> I mean, you get an eyeful, as they say. So. So we, once, once you were married, did you mm-hmm. still continue to work? Um, I worked in the uh, Manjimut Warren Medical Fund, which was a a little bungalow at the back of a bank in the main street of Manjimut. So was this a mutual fund, was it? It was for all the timber mills joined together and had this medical fund. And there was one other man worked there, a nice man, and me. But it was a pretty ramshackle building. Mm. And the thing I remember most about that was there was this man who had a sort of animal sanctuary just out of town called Alan Jones and Keith worked at the Manjimut Warren Times which had an office further down the main street and somebody bought into the newspaper office this tiny little fascagale pygmy possum mm. which was thought to be extinct right. and Keith had to go out so he brought it down to me to mind in a shoebox right. and I couldn't resist having a look mm. so I lifted up a corner of the box and it to me, it was just like a rat, and I've got a phobia about rats. <laughs> so I just let it go, and it disappeared in a hole in the floor and was Ooh, never seen again. again. And that was the last of its kind, I So think. we had to leave town, really. I can imagine, <laughs> the last of its kind. All right. Uh, so did, where did we go then? Uh, Munjibup, I don't know. Where? No, we Darwin. went to Burnie. Burnie, Tasmania, Timber. I, did, right. t- I had no say in it. Right. The pa- paper mill was... Yeah. Going then, mm. but Keith got a job on the Bernie Advocate. Right. Mm. Yeah. Not uh, once again night, uh, night work. Right. So it was always night work. Yeah. Um, but we only stayed there five months because he'd somehow contacted the Argus on his way through Melbourne. Ah, and he got a job. Uh, at the it took Argus. three planes to get to Bernie in those days. Right. So he got a job on the Argus in 1955. So you moved to Melbourne. And he became the sports editor very quickly, actually. Right, right, so he was sports, sports editor during the Olympic Games. Right, in 56. Yeah. But, of course, the Argus closed in January 57. So. That's right. The Argus building has only just been renovated. Yeah. Only just been renovated. It was so a good did, paper. Did you get to go to the Olympic Games? Yes. I did. Well, anything um, By that time, I had one child who mm-hmm. was six months old. Right. What, what was the child's name? Sharon. Sharon. Mm-hmm. Right. And I took her with me, actually. Right. Right. And uh, saw some a couple of the events. Right. She yeah. had a little jumpsuit thing with little Olympic rings on it. So. All right. And we were for fortune today. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you see? Do you remember? So, if, I mean, he was really only on the Argus 18 months. Right. Um, and that was it. And we thought, what are we going to do? Because, you know, mm-hmm. anyway, he was one of the few journos from the Argus who were automatically absorbed by the... Herald and Weekly Times, Times which, of right. course, had had a hand in right. selling and the Argus. Continue, and he continued in sport? No. Well, he did He did do some sport on the uh, Sun News pictorially worked on, yes. still night work. Yes, yes. So night work's terrible because mm. he used to go to work at 5 o'clock at night and come home at 3 in the morning. Mm. And you never had two days off together. So mm. he'd have Wednesday night off and Saturday night off. Mm. So mm. it's really hard. Mm. And, um, and of course, I was 18. Yes. Housing was very difficult in Melbourne in those days. Mm. Uh, and when I was actually pregnant with Sharon, we managed to get, with the help of the real estate writer on the Argus, <laughs> on the Sun News Pictorial, uh-huh. um, we managed to rent a house in Glenroy, in Glenroy. which was the you know, first... It's real now a suburb in those days. Yeah. 
Glenroy would have it been. Was. It was. It was an outer suburb. It did, yeah. didn't have sewage. That's right. Which yeah. I, I was horrified by. But anyway, we coped. Right. And so we were there when Sharon was born. So how long did you stay in Melbourne for? Uh, we stayed in Glenroy for oh, a couple of years couple and of we years. went to Essendon, to right. rented a house in Essendon. Yeah. Um, we were there when Sputnik happened, I remember. Right. I associate Sputnik yeah. with that house. house. <laughs> it was Marco Polo Street. How could you forget <laughs> it? it. Um, and then we moved to the Herald and Weekly Times flats in Wattle Tree Road, Malvern, oh, East Malvern, which was very nice, much very, better. Much better. So much we moved better. there when they my second child, yeah. Stephen, right. Stephen James Connolly, after the Irish Rebel, right. um, we moved there when he was five weeks old. Five weeks old, right. Yeah. So how long did you stay in Melbourne for all the rest of your life? Or yes. You've stayed in Melbourne yes. the rest of your life? No, we had a brief nine-month return to, to um, Perth. Right. Um, but we... We were there in those flats from 1959 to 1964. Right. During that period, a strange thing happened to me. What <laughs> I read, I, I used to read a lot because the kids would go to bed early yeah. and keep us at work. Two kids? I got two kids, kids at this right. stage. Right. Um, and all the other people in the flats were also journalists. Right. So there was a lot of coming and going and parties. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and my kids used to go and visit everybody. Mm, it was one. Mm. Uh, older lady who wasn't married, and she mm. used to have the two girls round, and they used mm. to she used to give them oranges and lemons to polish with a rag. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh, that's something wrong with <laughs> that. No, she'd no. learn all our business, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so we were, you know, that was a good place to live. So what's actually, a strange thing that happened. Well, to you? I I used to read a lot, right. and I read a book about South America, right. and it just blew my mind, as they say now. And I read everything I could find from the local libraries, which wasn't a lot. And I just thought, I've got to go there, you know, not really ever thinking. So I started to learn Spanish. I used to go um, on Keith's Wednesday night off. I'd cook dinner for everybody. I'd catch the tram, go to the city, um, go to my class of two hours, which was taught by a North American, wasn't even a native speaker. Uh, And then I'd go home again. Mm. So you were taught Spanish by a gringo. Yes, and no grammar, just conversational Spanish. But I did that for a couple of years. And then in the third year, I had um, another child, Linda, Linda Kathleen. Um, And and so there were three then, that's Mm. right. And then we bought a house, not very far away from the Herald and Weekly Times flats. Uh, And we moved there in 1964. But for those few years of the 60s, the early years of the 60s, Keith began to get strange health problems, all sorts of strange problems, which doctors didn't seem to be able to work out what it was. Um, And uh, one night he actually collapsed in the street eventually. But I'm jumping jumping forward a bit there. That's okay. Did he have MS or something? Did he have multiple sclerosis? No, he actually had a brain tumour. A brain tumour, right. He collapsed in the street and they Mm. sent him to an ear specialist because they thought he had middle ear trouble because he was dizzy. Um, And they said, no, he's not not got that. So they sent him to a neurologist and they didn't have all these machines they've got now. So they used to pump air and dye up into the brain cavity. And they diagnosed a tumour, which mm. had been there for 13 years, they reckon, because of the symptoms he'd had. But they, So they didn't think it was malignant, but they didn't know, mm. and it was huge. So he went into Epworth Hospital in 1971, mm. 
1971. So I've, I've missed a whole bit don't there, worry, but don't, don't worry. worry. <laughs> no, let's, let's finish this. So thing. I've got four children by now. Four children. Yes, right. four children. Right. Um, in the... Uh, so you've got four children, a very got sick four children, and a mortgage to pay. So I've read all these books on Spain. I'm yeah. very keen to travel. I've done yeah. three years of conversational Spanish, yeah. and I've had the fourth child in the third year of doing that Spanish. I waited till he went to school, yes. and then I thought, I'm going back to school because right. I want to learn more Spanish. Right. So I went to – I had to do an uh, – the only place you could learn Spanish in M- Melbourne in those days was La Trobe University, and I lived in East Melbourne, and I didn't drive. Right. So I decided to um, that I couldn't get into La Trobe without an adult matric. Mm. So I decided to sit matric. So I did English first because that was safe, 20 years since I'd been at school. Right. Um, past that. And so the next year I should have done two because they had this requirement that you had to do two in one year. But it was over that Christmas between 71 and 72 that the brain tumour happened. So just before Christmas, Keith went into Epworth Hospital and they removed the tumour and the next day he had a haemorrhage. And everything went wrong. So they rushed him to Prince Henry's Hospital and they had to operate again on the brain. And then he had a breathing tracheostomy done and he was in intensive care. And things seemed to be going well. My mother fortunately came over because I never would have managed with four little... I mean, the youngest was barely six and the oldest was 15. Right, right. That's very hard. (laughs) Very hard. And I'm studying, you know. So um, I thought, I'll do one subject. Mm. I can't do two. So I did one. I read the books for English Lit and passed that. Um, So the next year I still had two to do. But Keith was in hospital for... Approximately three months. Mm. But on New Year's Day, 1972, shortly before that, I knew he was all right because there was a problem that made the tumour, by the way, was attached to the brain stem right. and was very huge and very unusual type, which yeah. I can't remember the name of. Mm. But um, um, they removed it and um, it affected his speech. speech he couldn't yeah. speak, right. um, he couldn't swallow, right. he lost his swallowing reflex. Mm. He couldn't move, walk, of course. Yeah. Um, so on New Year's, just before New Year's Day, he'd said to me, what's the score at the MCG in the test match mm-hmm. and what's happened to the Sheik in Bangladesh because yes. there was a breakaway That's from right. Bangladesh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I knew his brain was okay. You know? <laughs> but then on New Year's Day, I was in the was the only person in the room actually in the intensive care unit. The nurses nicked out for a minute because mm-hmm. he was the only patient. Yeah. And I realised he'd stopped breathing right. and it was completely grey. Yes. And there was a sort of a fixed window into a, like a nurse's tea room or something mm. and I banged on the window and it was all hell broke loose and he'd had a cardiac it arrest. Goes. So right. they had to take him back and mm. um, operate on the ulcer and do breathing thing again. He was on a respirator for about 10 days or something and mm. um, eventually after three months or so he came home unable to walk. walk. Unable to swallow, unable to talk. So he had to learn all those things again. By this time, he was the features editor of the Herald. Right. Because um, in 1968, thinking that it was the night work that was making him sick, he decided to get day work. So the the Herald Weekly Times wouldn't transfer you to the Sun News Pictorial. He was on the Herald by then. Mm. So... um, we decided to go back to Perth. Perth, right. So we went back to Perth for nine months and then the Herald and Weekly Times decided they were going to start a Sunday paper. Right. 
and he was going to be the deputy editor. So we came back. I was very reluctant too because I was got used to being home again with my family. But we came back and um, the, that didn't happen because management and unions couldn't agree on penalty rates, which are in the news again, yeah, aren't they? Yes. Um, so he became the features editor of the Herald, which was responsible for everything that wasn't um, news. sport and yeah. news, yeah. so everything else. So he was in. That was his position during the Vietnam War. Right. right? So he'd had that since we were very involved in the Viet, anti-Vietnam War movement as well. Right. well. This time, what was your husband able to do? What was Keith able to do physically? Physically, by this time, bugger all, bugger all, bugger all. Mm. So he couldn't walk. Couldn't walk at first. He had calipers, and then he had calipers on his legs, mm. and then so he used wor- a stick. But he was working full time. Uh, he went back very slowly yeah. in uh, in seventy two. So things yeah. were maybe a bit more. Um, how shall I put it? Employers were a little bit more understanding in those days. Do you know they paid his wages yes. the whole time he yes. was in hospital, and they mm. gave me books of taxi vouchers to go to and from the hospital. They were marvellous, really, mm. in those days because before Murdoch, mm. um, Rupert Murdoch. Mm. Uh, so anyway, he he went back after seven months. And I actually found recently a letter that he'd written to my parents thanking my mother for coming over. And he sort of says, I'm going back to work. I'm Mm. going back part-time at first, Mm. but then I'll get into the swing of things and, Mm. you know, it'll work out. Uh, I want to thank you for coming over and helping. Mm. Mm. And then he said a little bit about each of the children. Sharon, the oldest one by this time, was at McRobertson Girls High. So Sharon's in the opera again, you know. We Mm. said she wasn't going to be in the opera again, but she's in the opera again, blah, blah, blah. Um, Stevie, that's the second one. Mm. Um, Stevie can occasionally looks out from beneath his long hair to let mm. us know he's still alive. Right. Um, Linda's cheerful as it as usual. It seems to be Linda's lot in life to be cheerful, cheerful. when everyone else is grumpy. And then there's Rowan. And then there's Rowan. Dot, dot, dot. dot. Absolutely obsessed with football mm. the, and reads the paper from front to back every morning and wants to discuss the football with everybody in the family and the cat, mm. you know. And the other day he came home, I'm quoting the letter here, mm. the other day he com- came home leading a, a conga line of boys chanting um, not uh, like a like a group from the stands of Old Trafford, but mm. they weren't saying we are the champions, they were saying Essendon, cha-cha-cha. It looks like being a long winter. <laughs> Rowan was seven. Look, it's uh, 4.37. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast the next six to eight weeks by going to 3cr.org.au. We are chatting, and the key word is chatting, with uh, (laughs) Madame Jill Connolly, two N's and two L's. Now, we're going to fast forward a little bit here, Joe. Now, are all your children alive? No. Unfortunately, my rock and roll son, Stevie, right. who uh, was very talented, actually, self-taught. Mm. And he went to this um, remarkable high school called Brinsley Road where he sat in a tree and composed music all the time, apparently. Right. Yeah. Um, he had a heart condition. And right. He had a band called Cuban Heels, mm-hmm. which were moderately successful when right. he was 19. Yes. And I, that actually is a, a 
shot of him on YouTube. Mm -hmm. There's a whole gig of Mm -hmm. him on YouTube because a young local boy who was doing a film course Mm -hmm. who'd Sharon gone to school with called Daniel Scharf, who I think had something to do with Romper Stomper, made a film for his graduation piece Mm. and he did a gig of the Cuban Heels. Right. Um, and at its 30th anniversary, so that was made in 79. So right. in 2009, he put it on YouTube and still there as far still as I know. Accessible. But there is a shot of Stephen singing and he sings a song which he wrote, which says something like, we're living the nightmare day to day, always the bills to pay. I've never known it any other way. And it finishes up, come the revolution, come the revolution. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when did he die? He died in 1995. And was that sudden? 36. Was it sudden or, or just half He got strange symptoms right. like swollen hands and yes, things and yes. eventually he put himself into hospital because right. doctors said, you've got a virus, stop panicking. Right. And they found he had a, a mitral valve problem, right. which for some reason was never picked, picked up. up. Mm-hmm. Although my daughter had had a heart murmur, which was picked up at kindy, he had exactly the same test, but it was never picked picked up. up. Mm. And he got an infection, which Mm. went to the heart. And so they gave him massive doses of antibiotics Mm. uh, and he was made a good improvement the first week and they decided to put the heart operation off till the following week and then he had a downturn in hospital. I strongly suspect he got another bug in hospital. I'm but, sure he did, yeah. It sounds like he, you know, he, he lasted another 16 days. Right. So he was 36. So that, that, must, that must have been horrendous. Terrible. Mm. And he'd been very successful because after the Cuban Heels, mm. he became Paul Kelly and he was the Coloured Girls. Right. His group was the Coloured Girls, and they joined right. with Paul Kelly. Kelly yes. And then they changed their name to the Messengers later on. Right. Same lineup. So he was about to. Take he off. also mm. uh, produced, co-produced with Paul mm. Kelly, mm. and played on Archie Roach's famous record, record. Jack right. Lane. Yes. yes. And uh, also uh, Sherry Rich and the Grievous Angels. He produced, and Mary Jo Starry produced, and Kev Carmody. He produced and played on right. those records, so he was, he was a talented very boy. Very talented. And how long did Keith um, last for? Did St- Keith? Mm. Keith lasted another t- ten years after Steve. Right. So, so in, too far, in he that, did, he did in that well. ten years, yeah. um, I lost a lot of people in that ten years because a month after Stevie died, my best friend died. It was a Chilean man who. Right. Um, I'd become involved in the Free Chile Committee when I was at university. Mm-hmm. I met a lot of South Americans and and uh, his family became very close friends of mine and he died a, a month to the day after Steve and then my mother died a couple of months That's after that. Day. Exceptionally difficult. Terrible. So, so Keith really made a remarkable recovery from that He did. He lived shot. another 34 years. And he, you know, he had always used a stick. He always looked much older than he was. He, mm. His voice would, was slightly thick at mm. times, especially if he had a glass or two of wine, right. which he liked. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and he, he went down, I think, something like five stone in weight when right. he first came out of hospital. Never put that back on. Right. So, so the other three children are still alive? The other three are still alive. Your grandmother, right? Um, my grandmother, my grandmother died. No, no, you're a grandmother. Uh, oh, I'm a grandmother. Uh, the only one that had children is my youngest one, the, right. the, the uh, journalist. The one, the one who was giving the trouble. Sports the sports yeah. journal. Yeah. <laughs> He's got two children. Yeah. Um, Sharon was far too busy to have children, right. I think, and yes. Uh, yes. Uh, she became a filmmaker, actually. Right. Right. She made the Marbo film. The Marbo film, excellent. Yeah. Her company made the Marbo, the Marbo film. film. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. She she was married when yeah. she was 21 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And um, they they set yeah. up a company called Yarrabank Films and they yeah. made a film called Red Matildas. Oh, the Red Matildas, right. Which... One of there's about three elderly women mm. who were very involved in left politics. Yes. Uh, they were 75 when the film was made. Yes. Um, that was 1985, I think. Mm. And uh, I had to look after the three women. So the film starts off in on May Day. Right. And Sharon right. said to me, "You look after the three women. If they get tired, there's going to be a van. They they can march in the in the May Day march. But if they get tired, put them in the van." I was the one who got tired. Right. These three women just. Walked all the way. But one of those women was my mum's friend who'd gone as a nurse to the Spanish Spanish Civil War. So there was the Spanish Civil War again. So what happened to your Spanish? You went to La Trobe, you're doing Spanish. What did that lead to? Uh, Well, I eventually passed... I did had done the English and the English lit, Mm. passed both of those, then I had to do the two. Mm. So I did politics and Spanish. Mm. And I... Didn't have grammar, so I had to went to university high schools on Saturday morning and learnt grammar from a very nice teacher there who gave me extra help. As he lived not far away, so he was great, and I managed to pass that. Mm. And not terribly well the Spanish. The others I passed quite well, but the Spanish was I didn't get a very good mark, but it was a pass. But I was the only person out of twenty six people sitting the matric Spanish exam in the whole of Victoria, so yeah. I was quite pleased with that. That's right. And so, so- and so I had a place at university mm. to go on with it in yeah. nineteen seventy four. Right. By which time Keith was back at work. Mm. Um, Sharon was seventeen or something, and mm. Rowan was nine. Mm. And Keith said to me. You've always wanted to go to South America. Mm. You look, you saved my life, you know, you looked after me. I'll mind the kids and I'm sure your mum will come over and help if we ask her. Yep. Go. Right. And where'd you go? So I went for seven months. Where with did a, you go? I went with a young cousin of mine who was yes. a beautiful young girl who'd mm. come over from Perth to live with mm. us for a while. Mm. We went to Italy, France, Spain. Doesn't sound like South America. And then <laughs> well, we had a great time in Spain. And then we flew from London to South America. We no. went to uh, Peru, mm. Bolivia, um, Ecuador, Panama, Mexico, Guatemala. Seven months. What was that like in 74, 1974? Unusual. unusual. Incredibly unusual. We didn't meet any Australians anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, people, people went to England or the States. And they yes. never went there. It was hard to get there for a start. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but um, it, was, it was very unusual, really was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and when I came back from that, that trip, mm-hmm. seven months later to take up my place at uni in 1975, right. which I did. Mm-hmm. And I came home one day and the children had cut out of the newspaper an advertisement for Air France, which had just begun to have flights linking up with Land Chile. Right. And it's it had little pictures of South America and mm-hmm. it said, would you let your mother go to South America? And that was the heading on this ad. <laughs> right, right. And right at the bottom of the ad was a little ad for... A travel agency called Wandana Travel, right. which had tour number two going to South America. America. And I thought, gee, I, I wonder if they've got a job, you know. Ah, right. uh, I, here's Keith had um, educating five of us, you know. Yeah. Gough Whitlam had come in, fortunately, so I didn't have to pay fees. Yes. But even getting to uni was a right. bit of a hassle. So mm. um, I had to learn to drive and mm. all that sort of stuff to get to uni. But um, So I wrote a letter and said, I speak Spanish, you know, at mm. matric level. And, um, I've been to South I've America. I've been to South America. And yeah. they asked me to come in for an interview and they said, we don't actually have anyone on our 
list of volunteers who's been there. Would right. you like to take a group of 25? Right. So I did. You started. What year was that? 75. So how long did that go on for? Um, that went on until we, they changed the itinerary in 78. So they took out uh, Columbia and put Chile in, which is pretty put funny. funny because yeah, right. They thought very Columbia funny. was too dangerous, so yes, they put yeah, Chile in. Yeah. Of course, Chile under Pinochet wasn't very good either. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but I did that every three months. I went for a month, still t- still doing full time uni, full time uni, looking travelling by public transport transplant. for the first two right, years, right. and and looking after the children as well. Did you ever get sick on your trips to South America? I never got sick. I got tired. You got tired. But <laughs> I never got sick. Never tired. never arrested. <laughs> no, I was no. never arrested. No. I had some some very interesting experiences in South America. Caught in coups and things. Yeah. Which coup did you get caught in? Which coup did you get caught in? Uh, the, there was one in Peru, actually, right. in 1975, and it was a sort of a military coup, but it was a sl- sort of slightly left military coup, and they sealed the border for a while, and we, we was, went to the Amazon in this place called Iquitos, which is in the Peruvian Amazon, um, and we used to go and visit these Indians who used to shrink heads and stuff, right. you know. Yeah, it was yeah. very exotic, <laughs> so what to do. But, I mean, I did those trips about... 26 times or something I went to Machu Picchu, I think. Yeah. And then I, I designed another tour to Mexico, Guatemala, because I wanted to go back there. So I'd, I'd sometimes put a Mexico, Guatemala one in. I went to Guatemala when it was very dangerous, actually. I shouldn't have gone, really. Mm. But we saw the the burnt-out villages and, the you know, they called them in Vietnam. They had the same things, strategic hamlets. That's right. Where yes. they'd put everybody in one... Yes. Bring it with soldiers and barbed wire and burn all their villages. And one day I remember we were coming back from Chichicastenango to Guatemala City and uh, there was a very steep bank on this side and a a roadway and fields on this side and it was just somehow uneerily quiet. We hadn't passed any traffic coming towards us. I looked up at the rear vision mirror and the driver's eyes met mine and the guide Mm. was – we all looked at each other and knew there was something wrong – and we took, we ran, came round a bend, and there were somebody chopped trees from the top of the bank to make a, a roadblock. Mm. Um, yep. And they'd thrown these things called migalitas, which are uh, nails right. welded together to mm. give you flat tyres. Mm. And we didn't stop; we just kept going. We managed just to get round the foliage and mm. s- kept going. going. But mm. I wasn't worried about, you know, the 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 people. Right. The, the gorillas, you know, yeah. the, the Indian people, the mm. indigenous people of Guatemala. I didn't, wasn't worried about them hurting us, but I thought we might get caught in crossfire somehow. Yeah. And I did see – we went into one village, I remember, Weaving Village, where, and we went in and there were no no men anywhere. The mm. men had fled, you know. And I've yes. got a picture out at the front of the bus, actually, of this mm. – this, um, Army patrol and cars mm. and looking horrible. Actually, they stopped us mm. and made us line against the fence and looked at all our passports. I was terrified because after that particular tour, which was 81, mm. 80, Christmas 81, um, I was going to Cuba. Right. And I had a Cuba visa, mm-hmm. separate from my passport, hidden. Hidden, right. I was worried they were going to find it, but they didn't. No. Uh, All right. So when did you first go to Cuba? I went to Cuba in 81. That was right. the first one. Christmas 81 and into 82. Mm-hmm. And I went because Keith went to a Latin American film festival in Cuba. By this time, he demoted himself to film critic right. of the Herald, which mm-hmm. he was for 25 years. Right. 
until Rupert Murdoch bought it and then he resigned. He wouldn't work for Murdoch. Mm. Um, So he went to this Latin American film festival. When he came back, I was actually studying the history of the Cuban Revolution. Right. At uni, at yeah. uni, with under Inga Glendinen and Barry Carr, right. um, and he came back and told me these stories, and I said, "I'm going," you know. Right. So I put my people on the plane home, and I went to Cuba with a friend. Mm. What was and that like? The that first was, time? was very interesting. She mm. spoke Spanish too, right. so we travelled pretty well everywhere we wanted to go for mm-hmm. three weeks, mm-hmm. um, and came back. And as soon as I came back. Mm. Um, some people began the Cuba Friendship Society yes. and asked Keith and I if we'd, like we'd go know. because yeah. not many people in Melbourne had been to Cuba in those days. Um, and I very quickly became the secretary mm-hmm. because, you know, there wasn't a lot of members at that stage. And, um, yeah, so, so, so I, I was secretary you... for quite a long while, actually. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. later, so when, when was your last trip to South America? Uh, 1999, I went with Keith, actually. Right. We went right. to Europe via Argentina, so right. we stopped in Argentina for a little while. Wow. So what have you been doing for the last 18 years? Um, well, I went into a bit of a slump after Steve died, I have to right. say. Yes. And then, well, that, um, that's natural. That was very. That was ninety five. Yes. Yeah, it was very hard. I, I found it very difficult to cope with that. Mm. Um, Keith, not so hard because, you know, he was 77. Um, but... After Keith died, I decided I've got to get out of the house. So I um, I went round to the local neighbourhood house, which is Phoenix Park near Chadston in my case, right. and there was an ad for a discussion group which was about to start. So I started going to that and very quickly I became on the committee of management of the whole place. It seemed to happen to me, yes. of the neighbourhood house. Yes. I this did that two, for about eight years or something. So this started in 2005. That was uh, 2000, yeah, two, beginning of 2006. 2006 right. And then when I was on the committee of management, they were always looking for new courses and I said, we should have a film appreciation group. And they said, okay, you organise it. So I still go to the discussion group every Monday. Right. We discuss politics and whatever, right. but often so this, politics. This is, this is the neighbourhood house, is it? It's very, very good. Right. Very good. Yeah. We there's you know it, there's lots of different courses, but uh, the discussion group has about five or six people. But I also coordinate a film group. A film every group. Tuesday, and at that the neighbourhood gets house, yes that, at yeah. the neighbourhood house. Right. And we used to borrow them from uh, the films from Acme, where yeah. my other daughter. Works as a film cataloger. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, we, we were all involved, at one stage we were all involved in film. Right. Keith was a film critic. My older daughter was uh, had her Yarrabank films and then became the CEO of Film Australia right. for about 12 years. Right. Screen Australia it's Screen called now. Australia, yeah. Until John Howard did a cabinet reshuffle and... Mm. She didn't want to. She didn't want to work with the new arts minister, so right. she didn't renew her contract. contract. Right. So she sort of semi-retired and growing vegetables in her South Hobart home with her partner. Well, that sounds reasonable. But thing she's to do. mentoring young film mm. people down there, and mm. she's on the board of Wide Angle. Mm. Um, the, the third child, Linda, mm. uh, works at Acme as a film cataloger and database manager. Mm. Mm. And um, she was also worked at the State Film Centre with me. I worked at the State Film Centre for three and a half years, from eighty six to eighty nine. Mm. And one of the things I had to do was, after Sharon's film was on there, mm. they said to her, "Do you know anyone who could um, publicise our next season? Mm. It's a season about the American Brigade who went to the Spanish the Civil, Civil War." War. Yeah. And she said, "My mum would be perfect because she's." speaks Spanish and she's just done a history of the Spanish Civil War at uni. Right. But she's in Portugal. 
Right. So um, they said, oh, well, when's she coming back? And she said, a couple of weeks. So they said, well, we'll keep the job for her. So I, mm. I got there and organised mm. this publicity for the good fight and got Lloyd Edmonds to come and help me publicise the film. Mm. And he'd been a, a volunteer as well to now Spain. That, now that you're over 80, mm. I hate to out you, yes. but that you're over 80, how do you feel? Well, you think life's – what you got any – any lessons for us younger folk? You know, I'm 67. Well, I feel I've had a remarkable life in some ways. Yes. Very unusual. I was very lucky to get a job in travel at the just, you know, when it was opening up and mm. easier. I, I wouldn't want to do it now. I also went to China 10 times, I might tell you. Right. I was last time in China during the Tiananmen Square massacre. So, that was my last visit. So when was the first visit? 79. What was that like? <laughs> Extraordinary. <laughs> I used to have people in lifts and everything. I had long, very long blonde yeah, hair, curly, yeah, I know, I know and they like. they couldn't they couldn't cope at all. Yeah, well, in '88, I took a group of um, fourteen wheelchair basketballers, and we were just mobbed constantly yeah. all over the place. But that's what it was like then. It's yeah. Obviously, it's different now. Much more sophisticated. And uh, the last time I went, I mm. I went to the part I like best in China, mm. which is Xinjiang Province. Mm. So I went to Kashgar, right oh, over there. It was right. fabulous. It is. Yeah. yeah. So uh, have you got any um, parting words for our listeners? How to, you know, you've been ups and downs. You've had horrible, horrible things happen to your life. Had and a lot of things. tragedy. Yeah. But I've been very fortunate in a lot of ways, and I, you know, you just you hang on to. Hang on to it. Enjoy every minute. Right. You know, live it to the full, as full right. as you can right. in this crazy world. And it's very troublesome at the moment, I know. Um, I, I actually have a young Iranian mm. skilled migrant mm. sharing my house at the mm. moment. Mm. And he's very tense mm. about the whole right. situation. Right. But I've, I've helped a couple of – he's an engineer, actually. I've right. helped a doctor and an engineer right. now, having had them living in my house. So oh. my life's very full, actually. Oh, that's excellent. I, I, um, I'm getting a bit tired, but – A bit. A bit well, tired. That's, you're but, uh, allowed to get I tired. think I've lived it pretty well tired. to the full. <laughs> well, Joe Connolly, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You too. We're going to end the interview with a, uh, a song from your son, Steve. And uh, just show what a talented man he was and mm-hmm. uh, what the world lost when he died prematurely. It, was it 36, was it? Or, yes. Yeah, and, uh, look, it's uh, it's great to talk to you and hopefully you've encouraged many of our listeners who may feel in the doldrums or, mm. you know, that life's passing them by. Go or, to your local neighbourhood house and get or, involved in all or, sorts or, of things. Or they're starting, off, starting yeah. off on their journey that you can make a lot out of your life. Right? You as can. As long as you... Make the effort. And ASIO records it all if you get involved in politics. Well, they used to. I don't know. I don't know. They bother now. They don't even bother sending oh, people did. around anymore. You know, getting back to my grandmother, you yeah. know what her crime was? What? Quote, she interested herself in the affairs of native women and children. Well, I can understand Terrible that. thing to Horrendous thing. And horrendous thing. Now, we re- thank you very much, Irwin. Have we got the song lined up? Are we ready to yes, go? Yes, we do. We do. What's, what's the title? Do we know which track uh, it is? The song, the song is called... called um, Better days. Better, Better days. days. Thank Better you very much. Ellen. That's a good one. Thanks. That was, that was really lovely interview, and it's quite love to.